We all know, or at least I think we all know, that we're called to have an interior sense of peace, recollection, self-possession. But at the same time, all of us have various duties and responsibilities according to our particular state in life, right? And so, for example, maybe you're a mother, maybe you're a father, maybe you have a secular job. And again, various legitimate duties and responsibilities flow from that particular state of life, right? And so the question is, like, what do you do with that in the sense of not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by your various duties and responsibilities to maintain this interior sense of peace, recollection, or how we want to frame it. So I want to spend the remainder of this reflection talking about precisely that, how it can be in the world, but at the same time, not of the world. Okay, so the first thing that kind of comes to mind is this notion that grace essentially builds on nature, which is basically to say this. It's one thing to desire the peaceful life and to pray to God to give you that type of life. But if you find that regularly and habitually your life is chaotic simply because you're disorganized, well, maybe that's the first thing to sort of attend to, right? Mindful of the fact that, again, grace essentially builds on nature. And so, for example, maybe after a certain time after work, you want to set your phone on do not disturb, such that you let in only essential calls from people like your kids, your parents, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you want to make it a point of habitually taking a break from social media. Whether we're talking about taking a break of one hour per day, one day per week, or even one week per year, coinciding with your regular holidays. Or maybe on top of that, you want to cultivate the spiritual discipline to basically walk away from work at the appropriate time, right? And so to quote Morgan Schneider, this idea of dropping the pencil at five o'clock. And so certainly there might be things that come up at work that you need to attend to, right? So you need to exercise prudence in that regard. But at the same time, on a regular basis, you should have a set time after which you stop working. Not in an angry or bitter sort of way, but in the sense that, you know, look, I love my job and I want God to bless my job. But at the same time, I recognize that there are certain duties and responsibilities which exist outside of my secular job. And so now I need to, again, drop the pencil and move on to those particular things. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But we can take it one step further, right? Because as we all know, even though we might organize our lives in such a way that, you know, it's not inherently chaotic, at the same time, stuff happens, right? And so the notification is going to come, the phone is going to ring, the email is going to come across our desk, which begs the question, like, what do we do in, in that particular situation? Well, the Christian writer John Eldridge, he talks about this particular phenomenon, and basically what he says is that the appropriate response to this type of situation is to learn to cultivate a sense of benevolent detachment. So again, benevolent detachment. And so just to kind of frame the issue appropriately, John Eldridge tells this really interesting story. And so if I recall correctly, basically the way the story goes, I think he was in the context of prayer when all of a sudden he just felt completely overwhelmed by such things like past regrets, present concerns, and like fears and apprehensions about the future. And we've all been there, right? We've all been in situations where our minds are constantly plagued by thoughts of like, you know, what we said, what we didn't say, what we could have said, what we should have said, right? So again, past regrets, present concerns, and fears and apprehensions about the future. And so just to kind of close off that particular story by John Eldridge, what he found was that when he took this particular feeling of being completely overwhelmed to the Lord, what the Lord was saying to him time and time again was some variation of like, look, give everyone and everything to me. Again, give everyone and everything to me. And of course, in this, what God was basically inviting John Eldridge to do was to cultivate a deep sense of benevolent detachment. Okay, now at this point, perhaps it might be kind of helpful to kind of clarify what benevolent detachment is not before defining what it actually is. 
And so, for example, benevolent detachment is not the same thing as laziness, right? And so it's not a matter of shirking one's legitimate duties and responsibilities and sort of heading for the hills, right? So again, it's not about laziness. But at the same time, it's really important to note that benevolent detachment is not the same thing as indifference, right? So it's not becoming detached from the things of this world with a sense of anger or, or bitterness, right? Because again, it's benevolent detachment as opposed to, for example, angry or bitter detachments. And so given all that, perhaps we might define benevolent detachment simply as this, becoming spiritually detached from one's problems and difficulties, again, not with a sense of laziness or indifference, but rather with a deep sense of trust in God's goodness, trusting that God alone is the savior of the world, but also trusting and believing on top of that, that God alone can provide a solution to these problems, a solution to these issues, which far exceeds anything we could ever hope to accomplish or imagine on our own. Or to frame the same principle in a slightly more psychological sort of way, it's making the really important distinction between empathy on the one hand and becoming completely enmeshed on the other. And so empathy is basically this idea that I identify with the people involved, I, I care about the people involved, and I, I care about the outcome, right? So that's, that's empathy. But enmeshment is something different, right? So enmeshment is basically this idea that I'm so overwhelmed by the problem or the issue at hand that I can't see clearly. And more to the point, I'm unable to respond appropriately to the task at hand, again, because I can't see clearly because I've been completely overwhelmed by the situation that I'm in. And of course, the whole idea is that benevolent attachment is more in line with empathy as opposed to enmeshment, such that I'm not so overwhelmed by the situation at hand that I can see clearly what are the few things the Lord wants me to do carefully and well to kind of help move the situation along in accordance with his divine providence, trusting again and believing that he's ultimately carrying the day. And of course, if you think about it, that's precisely what we find in the context of the gospel, right? And so think, for example, the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And so as a matter of background, here's these people, they follow the Lord, they've, they've lingered in his presence, they've listened to his word. And now in the aftermath of this really long sermon, they're hungry, right? So 5,000 people. The disciples turn to the Lord in response to which he says to them, what do you have, right? All they have are five loaves and two fish. Of course, the Lord takes that particular offering, he blesses it, he breaks it, uses the five loaves and the two fish to feed the 5,000, the gospel of the Lord, praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. So that's that particular story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish in the gospel of Luke chapter 11. You see, what's interesting about this particular story, especially it applies to what we're talking about today, is that in the narrative structure of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, we see the principle of bedevil detachment very much at work. And so, for example, in the face of the 5,000 people who need to be fed, what do the 12 disciples ultimately do? They don't go the way of self-reliance, but instead they turn to the Lord, trusting and believing that He alone can bring about a solution to this particular problem. And on top of that, what does the Lord ask of them? He asks them to give him everything, which of course amounts to five loaves and two fish, otherwise known as give me everyone and give me everything. And then finally, of course, we have this deep sense of trust, deep trust in God's power for sure, but also in a certain sense, deeper trust in his goodness. I trust and believe that you alone are the savior of the world. And I trust and believe that you alone can provide a solution to this otherwise impossible situation. And that of course results in the great miracle, the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. Okay, now obviously there's kind of a lot going on here, but perhaps I might leave you with a few kind of practical tips to cultivate a sense of benevolent detachment and the spirit of surrender. So the first thing that comes to mind is essentially this. 
whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, which happens all the time to all of us, to get in the habit of constantly praying to the Lord, some variation of Jesus Christ, I give you everyone and everything. I surrender everyone and everything to your providential care. And again, to say that prayer, some variation of that prayer over and over again. And you know, personally, I've found that it really helps to kind of name explicitly the things that you're trying to surrender to the Lord, right? Again, whether we're talking about like family, friends, past regrets, past hurts, future concerns, whatever the case may be. And you see, the funny thing is this, you will know whether or not you've surrendered a particular topic or issue or thing to the Lord, because you'll feel a certain unlocking in the heart, right? And so maybe you don't feel that right away, but that's okay, right? Just keep on praying that prayer over and over again until you feel the unlocking of the heart, which kind of points to the fact that, yes, I've surrendered this thing to the Lord and to his providential care. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this, and this is from the language of St. Augustine of Hippo, right? So basically what you want to do, you want to work as if it all depended on you, but then pray as if it all depended on God, which is basically to say this. Certainly you want to do the few things the Lord wants you to do carefully and well to collaborate with his providential designs. Hopefully that goes without saying. At the same time, to kind of quote Jay Kim, you want to make sure that you're not attached to the results. And so again, you do everything that God is calling you to do to collaborate with his providential designs. But at the same time, when it comes to the outcome, when it comes to the results, you say to the Lord, like, okay, these things are left to you. It's up to you basically to make up for the shortcomings of my efforts, the shortcomings of my work. But I trust and believe that you can take my five loaves and two fish and feed the 5,000 by the power of your grace. So again, work as if it all depended on you, but then praise if it all depended on God, which is another way of saying, don't be attached to the results. Okay, but that brings us to the final bit of practical advice. And again, this is from the writings of John Eldridge. You don't want to allow yourself to be ruled by needs and opportunities, which is basically to say this, quite apart from the things that you could do in terms of things which might correspond with opportunities and your own kind of gifts and talents, you want to make sure that you are ruthless in terms of situating everything in terms of God's particular call for your life. You want to make sure that you don't expend even the slightest amount of time and energy in a particular direction unless you feel that like God is specifically calling you to do those particular things carefully and well. Mindful of the fact that the human heart, your heart, my heart, our hearts were never meant to carry all the burdens and sufferings of the sinful and fallen world. Because at the end of the day, these things were meant to be carried by Christ and Christ alone. Okay, now at this point, I'd like to kind of end with two kind of concrete examples. Let's kind of drive the point home. And so the first example comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, right? And so in this particular story, Jesus has just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and he's just healed a whole bunch of people in this particular town, in the aftermath of which he kind of goes up to this mountain to, to pray and behold the Father in heaven. But then what happens is that St. Peter, on behalf of all the people, all the disciples, he finds him and he says to Jesus, look, everyone's been looking for you. And implied in this is that, look, you got to go back to this town and, and heal more people and teach more people because more stuff needs to be done. In response to which the Lord says to him, basically, no, no, we're, we're going to move on and we're going to go on to the next town. And of course, what do we see in this? But benevolent detachment, right? And so even though there still existed in that town, various needs and opportunities, the Lord discerned correctly that the Father is not calling me to be here, but instead he's calling me to move on, to attend to the next town and the town after that. And the reason why that's okay is because at the end of the day, God the Father holds all these things in his hands. And so therefore the Son can move on to the next town. 
Okay, one final example, and I'll kind of end with this. And so this particular example is from the life of Brett Powell, right? And so basically, as the story goes, Brett Powell was watching this soccer game in the context of which his younger son made a mistake, which led to the scoring of the winning goal by the opposing team. And so just kind of put yourself in a situation, right? And so in the aftermath of seeing this colossal error made by his son in the context of the game, Brett Powell's fatherly heart was kind of beating overtime and his mind was kind of racing. And so he was thinking about all the things that he might say to his young son to console him in this moment of, of tragedy and difficulty and, and whatever the case may be. And to make matters worse, when Brett looked over at his son, he could see a tear forming in his eye. And so we thought, well, you know, there you go, right? My son is really distraught. And so as a father, I need to say to him the appropriate thing to kind of get him over the hump. But then funny enough, what happened is that once Brett's son got into the car and Brett was preparing himself to kind of say these, these words of wisdom to his son, he noticed his son kind of picked something out of his eye. I think it was like a turf ball or something. In the aftermath of which his son said, uh, I got it. And so dad, can we uh, go get some hot chocolate? And at that point, of course, Brett realized that his son wasn't bothered by the game at all, and that he himself had completely misread the situation, such that if he had kind of dove into the situation, kind of head first and said all these things that he was planning to say, it would have made the situation worse as opposed to better. And of course, the takeaway message, again, is to not be ruled by needs and opportunities, but instead to habitually and regularly stop and pray into the thing and ask the Lord in all honesty, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with regards to this particular problem or issue? And realize that probably he doesn't want you to take on a whole bunch of things. But instead, again, he wants you to focus on doing a few things he wants you to do carefully and well. Again, not because you're being lazy, not because you're indifferent to the problem at hand, but rather because you trust in God's goodness. I trust and believe that Christ alone is the Savior of the world, and I trust and believe that the Father, at the end of the day, holds everything in his hands. And may God bless you all.